Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together, for He is worthy and worthy to be praised. Amen? So, I'm third in line on this Song of Solomon series. Dan kind of gave us uh, an overview of what a righteous marriage looks like as a whole. And I think he did a really good job of kind of summarizing the way the, the world sees marriage and the way the Bible sees marriage. And he pointed out very clearly and eloquently, might I add, that we are not trying to preach what is legally or morally right, or sorry, let me phrase that, preach what's legally right with the world around us. All things legal are not all things righteous. And I think when we look at Scripture, we see primary examples of that. I'm not preaching what the world standard of righteousness is. We are preaching what God's Word clearly says about what marriage is. And Dan pointed that out um, about whether we like it or not, because there's a lot of things in Scripture I don't necessarily like. I don't like the idea of loving my enemy and praying for those who persecute me. So I've been to Iraq and on the enlisted side and I've been shot at and I've received and returned fire and the whole idea of praying for my enemy kind of hits different when they're shooting IDF or direct fire at you. I remember one particular time we came back and Chief Matthews was my roommate, great godly righteous man, and he says, Ken, and we would actually pray together as roommates at night. Me as a junior enlisted guy and him as a warrant officer. So neither one of us, you know, uh, as far as chaplains or ministry involved other than just loving our Savior. I came back and he says, Ken, I think we need to pray for our enemies. What he did not realize is we had just been out on convoy where two of our soldiers got wounded in battle. And I was like, oh, chief, I got some prayers for him. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to know what my prayers are. And he says, well, maybe tonight I'll lead in prayer. And we can change our heart eventually. And he was right. When I learned to pray for my enemy, to those who even want us dead, I learned what righteousness looks like. At least a more clear picture of it. So I don't always have to like things in Scripture. But it is important to preach them God's way. The world around us might not like the idea of a biblical marriage. Or what Dan said, that marriage is for one man and one woman for one lifetime. Maybe you've had experiences that are different, that don't look like that. Maybe there's divorce. Maybe there's sexual abuse in your past. Maybe there's a variety of things that aren't exactly what righteousness looks like. That's okay. That abusive relationship is not the image of your eternal God. Your eternal God is the image of what your relationship should strive to be like. Your abusive father, your abusive boyfriend, your abusive husband, your abusive spouse, uh, wife is not the image of what, who God is. A lot of people don't like the Christian faith because they don't like the idea of talking about God the Father because they didn't have a great father. God the Father is what your father, earthly father should be like to care for and strive. So Scripture points some things out about... I meant to adjust that and not throw it off. I apologize. Scripture points out some things about intimacy. The Song of Solomon is in Scripture, and when you understand it in the biblical context, it is very, very clear and explicit. To the point where they were doing the, when they were deciding the canon of what 
books would make it into the canon of Scripture, Song of Solomon, quote, almost did not make it. Because they're like, that's a little spicy. And the mentality from the theologians of the past, if you would, was spicy is not bad. Spicy is biblical. God created spicy. God created this to be righteousness. We need to preach it in the right way. Because they also came in that same canon when they were talking about the Song of Solomon. It says, look, the world around us and to the temples of Aphrodite, to the temples of all these false gods, are preaching what they think sex is, what they think a righteous relationship, and they're so wrong. Isn't that more the reason for us to preach what right looks like? So Dan kind of talked a little bit about that. Chaplain Bryant gives up, and he pointed out that like the Georgia Bulldogs and his beloved team, being number one this year, praising your spouse is number one. And he eloquently pointed out that as a Georgia fan, his number one team is, you know, on top and praise was on top. And he's right. I can't argue with that with either point, really, even as an Alabama fan. But I will make this point. Intimacy is like the University of Alabama. It's consistent. <laughs> You're not all always going to be perfect in it. It's not always going to be on the winning side, but it's at least consistently there. He's not here, so I pray, Holy Father, that he hears that on the podcast. Time is fun. They were talking about who to preach on this intimacy. Dan and Chaplain Brian have kind of built me up for this. Why am I here preaching on it? It's not because I'm the wisest. I think that's obviously Dan. It's not because I've been married the longest. That's obviously Chaplain Bryant. It's not because I'm oldest. That's obviously Chaplain Bryant again. I guess it's because when you look at me and Sonny, you see the perfection of what intimacy should look like. So much so that she's not even in here today. She decided that if you're going to talk about kissing and intimacy, you always use me as an example. I'm not even going to be there for that. So she decided to be with the kids. Hence why I'm going to use the Thompsons as one of my primary examples. Yeah, I know, right? Like, what do you know about the Thompsons' intimacy? What kind of things going on in the chaplain corps? When we talk about the physical side of marriage, people either tend to get excited or they shy away from it, or they get excited and bold, talking you know, like sex is what it's all about. It's all about the physicality. That's why we get married in the first place. Or they shy away from it because maybe they were raised in a conservative background like I was, thinking that something dirty as a necessity just for procreation kind of deal, like a carnal sin is uh, what some people would refer to that as. Let me assure you this, that physical intimacy is neither the main ingredient of marriage. I think praising your spouse is a primary ingredient more so. Nor is it something dirty, although. Although the mass flooding of pornography in the world today has defiled true intimacy and made it seem that way, but it's not. When we read Song of Solomon, we're going to find that out. Passion and intimacy cannot be rightly separated any more than one can rightly separate a biblical marriage that God has joined together. It can't be. Bottom line is, true intimacy is not exactly fast food. It's fine dining. It takes time to plan the occasion. It takes time to prep the meal, if you know what I mean. Let it simmer and enjoy the experience all the way from preparation to dessert, if you know what I mean. To add Dan's phrases in there. You like that? Was that good? 
When I see intimacy, it's there. So I want to read two phrases. I want to read to make sure that we include the lady's perspective as the guy's perspective. If you got the Song of Solomon open to chapter 2, we see the Shulamite's perspective. We see the woman's perspective as she is praising her spouse. Dan and uh, Chaplain Brian have kind of hinted on this, but I get to get the, the main ingredient on intimacy. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, this is her perspective. She says, check it out. Y'all ready? As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, feed me. Refresh She's a big woman apparently, I don't know. I'm kidding. She says, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head. I want you to picture this. You ready? His left hand is under my head. Apparently he's right-handed. And his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it passes. The voice comes leaping over the mountains is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and he says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past and the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth and the time is singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs and the vines and its blossom. They give birth to a fourth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. She is looking for him in the crests of the rocks, the crannies of the cliffs. She says, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for the vineyards are in the blossom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. Or in Hebrew, Ani Ladori Ladori Li. I am enslaved to my beloved, is the literal translation. He grazes among the lilies until the day breeze and shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on the cleft of the mountains. And gentlemen, that is quite literally what she said. She is excited about her husband. She is excited about the apple of her eye, about the dream. She is looking out for him. When's he coming home? Are you like that with your spouse? We're going to look at some things. I also want us to turn to chapter 4 because we see his perspective. We see what he says kind of his return on poetry. And remember kind of what we talked a little bit about. Some of these things don't make sense to us because we're not in the Middle Eastern culture and we're not in their time frame. But you need to understand the purity and the beautifulness of the, quite frankly, the Shakespearean poetry before Shakespeare was even around that is here of how they describe their love. They are thinking about this. They're not thinking about social media. They're not thinking about, let me post a cute little selfie on the beach. Aren't we looking happy? Get Make us look happy. Smile. Yeah, and they smile, right? Yeah. They're not talking. They are spending time not worrying about what everybody else thinks, but what's going on in their love. Y'all laugh because y'all have been there. <laughs> Chapter four, we see his perspective. You ready, gentlemen? 
Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, uh, you are beautiful. He says it twice because women are hard of hearing. I can say that because Sonny's with the children. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. (laughs) Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes. I don't know what they sound like. But they have come up from the washing in which they bear twins, and no one among them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built on the rows of stone. On it hangs a thousand shields, and all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like fawns, twins, a gazelle. They graze among the lilies. Until the day breeze and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountains of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come to me from Lebanon and my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana to the peak of Sanir and Himron from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. You have captivated my heart. Check that out. That's, that's a line right there. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine? And the idiom is here, I'm drunk on love with you. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils other than any spice? Your lips... Drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Let me pause there. French casting was a thing well before the French ever knew what it was. He was after some Shulamite sugar, if you know what I mean. All right? His kiss captivated her. But she says, your li- or he says rather, your lips are like nectar, my bride. He goes on in verse 12 of chapter 4. He says, a garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. Can I paint the idiom for you? It is exclusive. It is a garden locked that nobody else goes in that garden. Nobody has entered that garden. Nobody will go near that garden, but she is going to willingly give him the key to the gate of that garden. If you know what I mean. Okay. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. Your shoots are an orchid of pomegranates with the choicest fruits, henna and nard, and nard of saffron, comus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the choice spices. If you're from Alabama like me, he says you smell good, darling. Okay? A garden fountain, a well of living water, of flowing streams of Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden and let its spices flow. That's the Scripture. And you never knew it was there. Twelve-year-old Hebrew boys were reading this going, oh! Because they knew what it meant. It was their culture. It was their time. Let's go for a Lord and a word of prayer. Hey, Daddy, as, as we talk about intimacy within the marriage, I want us to... Father, help us to understand, rather what Your Word proclaims about what our marriage should look like. Father, I know that no marriage in here, and I joke that they chose me because they knew that me and Sonny have intimacy down. But Father, I think they all know that that's simply a joke. Because Father, we all need to increase more of You in our relationships. 
We need to be more righteous. We need to be more biblical. And in our marriages, make us more like You. Father, for those of us who are in the congregation that are yet married, Father, let us understand what this Scripture and what these passages and what Song of Solomon teach us about what to look for in a husband or a wife. What to look for in a future mate. And if they don't meet the biblical standard, tell them, says, hey, I'm sure you're a great person for some other heathen, but Father, for us in a righteous marriage, let those who are under the sound of this voice understand what a Christian union looks like. And may they seek after that so that they can have the full pleasure of intimate words and intimate vision and passion an intimate exclusion that is only theirs to enjoy in their marriage and intimate pleasure that You have designed for them to share. Father, I ask all these things in the name, the name of my Savior, Jesus the Christ. And all God's children said, it is obvious that the Shulamite and Solomon are wanting to... What's our theme for the year, Dan? Connect. Yeah. They're wanting to connect. They're wanting to make things not only there, but I wanted to be exceedingly cautious in my quest to preach intimacy in the physical, mechanical side of relationships of a biblical marriage, not to separate the physicality and intimacy because they cannot be rightly separated. There's a gentleman, y'all may have heard of him, by the name of Hugh Hefner, who made millions off the attempt to separate physical passions and intimate relationships. In a world of Facebook where we try to be connected with the world, spouses are never more disconnected than they have been today, I think. I mean, you've seen, maybe some of you have seen online the images of two spouses in bed. They're laying back to back, both of them on their phone. Their faces are lit by the night, uh, the glow of the phone. And they're there together, but they are not connecting. Maybe you have some of that in your relationship. I'm sure we all do because it's hard to separate. Maybe you're kind of like me and Sonny in seminary where you're together, war in seminary, where you're together, you see each other quite often, but you very rarely talk or communicate because I was doing things for the glory of God. I was preparing seminary. You need to just, whatever. I'm doing good things, righteous things. And she's supporting our family and being the great mother that she is, but we were less connected in seminary than hard, most any time of my life just because of the work of seminary and being a full-time pastor in National Guard and things like that. Maybe that's you. But I'm telling you this. Hugh Hefner made a millions off of separating the physicality and the intimacy, and it's failed miserably, and it's created this pornographic world where we think that passion and the, the physical side of a relationship is primary. Let me assure you, it is not. Praise is primary. And when we put the right things first, Everything else gets that much sweeter. Do you understand what I'm saying? Our world is flooded with the pornography, and I can't tell you the number of times that I've had couples and soldiers and families come up to me and says, chaplain, pornography has destroyed either me personally as a single soldier or my marriage because it is addicting. I won't get into a lot of the science behind it, but it's scientific as far as the highs and lows of, of uh, sexual relationships. It is, it is the high of the high drugs and it is the low of the low drugs and it's all together. And that, that release, that connection uh, when we connect with pornography, well, it perverts what God has mandated it to be. We're lusting after something that's not ours. As we were talking as pastors on how I could emphasize this, we talk about a standard of beauty. Guys, let me let you know, whatever your standard of beauty is when you got married, your standard of beauty became your wife. Nothing on the screen. 
the other day while we were at Waikiki Beach, and I don't know if y'all been around the beaches here in Hawaii, but there's a, sometimes a little more skin exposed than what um, we should probably see. We saw that the other day when we went out to uh, eat at a restaurant with my in-laws, and I noticed my son noticing. I noticed him noticing. You know what I'm saying? If you know what I mean. Okay. Then I noticed my father-in-law noticing. He's a married man and a preacher. And then I realized if I noticed what they were noticing, I was noticing too. And I'm a married man and a preacher and a chaplain, right? The things are out there, but it's the reality that my focus is not on, because I'm not blind either, but do I turn away and look, it says, my standard of beauty is my bride. These two, when you read their words in Song of Solomon 2 and 4, they are focused on nobody else. Their standard of beauty is each other. But notice the intimate words that they share. Gentlemen, notice how he pursues her with praises before he ever invites her to intimacy. He is talking her and he is praising her up, not only to her, but to everybody else around him. Let me reemphasize that. Not only else to her, but to everybody else around him. Your wife should not be the beautiful bride at the house and then the old hag at work. If we want to change our culture, the way that we address our spouses, we need to praise them all the time. I mentioned it before. One of the most beautiful things I've overheard was when I was a chaplain sponsor for one of the Protestant Women of the Chapel events. I was the only guy there, but I had to be there to unlock the chapel and stuff like that, right? I've got the key and I'm responsible to close up. So I'm just there trying to find a place to be helpful, but not in the way. Y'all ever been with a group of women like that? Like you're just... I don't know what to do. Anyways, so I found myself in the kitchen where every good man should be, and I was just washing dishes, and I overheard somebody kind of not down-talk their husband, but say something negative. And then they kind of looked at Sonny and says, well, you know what I'm talking about. You've been married, uh, whatever, 15 years at the time. And uh, she kept asking, she says, oh, no, I don't. My husband's awesome. He does blank, 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 and she just laid it out. And I'm, buddy, that dish couldn't have been cleaner. <laughs> buddy, I was so happy. Bam! She didn't even know I was there, but she was praising me to other people. Guys, your words and your intimate words matter. Praise is a never-ending process. Pursuing your spouse isn't like hunting a buck where you mount it on the wall and you're done. Look at my trophy. Ladies, I also want you to notice her. Notice that longing for her beloved to return to work. Looking for him in the crannies of the cliffs and the crests of the rocks. It matters. Waiting like a father waiting for the prodigal son. Remember the story of the prodigal son when he's coming back? He, he can't see the house because he's looking low because he's done messed up. He squandered his inheritance. He ran away from his house. He's disgraced his family. And he's not even looking. But miles away, the old man says, that's my son. And he darts down there to go see him. That's the kind of relationship that the Shulamite has for him. She is looking for him. When is he going to come back from the home? Now, I don't know what was going on in the Thompson household. I told you I was going to use them as an example since Sonny was next door. So I don't know what was going on in the Thompson house about two months ago. I'm going to make an assumption it had something to do with he made the majors list because he did, congratulations, or he found out his next assignment, or maybe it was something totally not to do with anything Army. But I know at around 6 o'clock, which meant that he had a late, later day than maybe usual, which I did too, right? I have to pass by their house on the way home. And as I was driving home to my house to go see my beautiful bride and embrace my wife with a hug, I see what I thought to be this 16-year-old girl because it had to be because she wasn't walking like an adult. She was skipping like a child. She, she was... I was like, this 16-year-old girl is like skipping down the driveway to meet Glenn. 
What a lucky man. man. Who is that? And that was his beautiful bride. I don't know what they were celebrating. None of my business. But I'm telling you, that's where intimacy starts. That was one of the most intimate things I saw that day. And I'm telling you what a refresher it was to me because I just got out of a counseling where they were rare. He's this. She's this. And I'm like, oh God, Father, help me. They're blaming everything and they're both wrong. And then I go and I get to see that and I realize that that beautiful love where they embrace in the driveway. I got to share that moment with you and it's something, quite frankly, will stick with me for a long time, and that's as intimate as I will ever get with the two of you, I promise. But the reality is, is I'm glad that I was able to see that because it reminds me that their children get to see that. That they get to see that. That they see Glenn with his arm around his bride and vice versa and, and loving on each other. Now, they'll probably see a few arguments along the way because Glenn's always going to be wrong and Shiloh's going to point that out. Don't worry about it. Right? There's going to be arguments, but they're going to embrace each other. She was waiting for him to come home and run to him and say, I love you, and whatever else she wanted to say. kind of leads me to say this. Let your love like your spouse be made known and be made known in public, because I'm telling you, that touched me. We're not talking about kiss and tell here. We're not talking about kiss and tell kind of stuff. I, we don't have those conversations, and quite frankly, I don't want to. But... Public praise and appropriate PDA is a good thing for the soul in marriage. Emphasis on appropriate PDA. Not only do they share these intimate words, but they have this intimate vision and passion for each other. In chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, it kind of emphasizes that come with me from the Lebanon, my bride. Come and depart from Lebanon. Depart. They're making plans. Come with me. Build this house together. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. Emphasis, when it says his sister, it's not that kind of relationship. It's not his sister. What they're talking about is the PDA. Like, in their culture, what I saw with Glenn and Shiloh would not always really be appropriate, even for married couples. Like, that's their culture. But if it's your sister that you've been away from, you've been away at war, you've been away on business, and you embrace your sister, it's kind of like that kid, we're family thing, right? So he's just saying, look, I wish I could show my affection for you to everybody and everywhere all the time, and nobody think anything of it. Notice the grammatical shift in this. When we start to go from here, the grammatical shift in the text goes from you to my darling and my bride. They are married at this point. They're getting married, and it's no longer you and yours, it's my and mine. I, Ani Ladodi, Ladodi Lee, I am embraced to you, I am welded to you, I am enslaved to you. Now, we don't use that word enslaved because of the, the cultural connotations we have in the American culture, but in the Hebrew culture, that's kind of what that word means. I am welded to you. You own me, and I own your heart. That's love right there, guys. I'm just telling you. They admire each other, and they respond rightly. Solomon is completely captivated by her. Biblical intimacy is always focused on making, not only, making it not only physical, it's more than just sex, and that's the world around us. Pornography, Fifty Shades of Smut, or Gray, sorry, whatever color it was, they defile intimacy and make it only physical, and they try to separate it, much like Hugh Hefner did, right? Well, I'm not married, so it's okay. Or I'm not married yet. The whole idea of time to test drive a vehicle. She ain't a used car, boys. And neither is he. And you ain't a used car salesman, ladies. And don't sell yourself to be that way, if you know what I mean. Are, are we working on the same page? Are we talking the same thing here? 
Okay. Premarital relationship defiles God's plan because it's physically becoming one flesh with someone. I want to point this out. Sonny and I, when we do these Strong Bonds events, and I tell people all the time that Sonny and I are the only person that each other has ever been with, and we were not together until our honeymoon night. That's biblical intimacy. It's always good because i got nothing else to compare her to. She's the only one I love. Now, I'm not telling you this. I'm not saying that by any means, if that's not your picture, that I am better than you. Okay? I am not saying by any means that Sonny and I are more righteous or ever have been or ever will be. I'm not pointing that out because I don't know what your past is. But I'm saying this is God's idea of what perfect looks like. Because they are so... I'm the only one with the key to that garden. And if anybody comes near that garden, I'm going to up the Glocks, if you know what I mean. Glocks or locks, either one. Whatever it takes. Alright? 4.9, it says his bride has captured or ravished his heart. She, they saw the need for future. A spouse sees the need that each other has. Not thinking about myself, but thinking about her. I'll tell you, I was changing the brakes yesterday on our really junky van because even junky vans need you know, maintenance. And apparently, it, the, the noise of the squeaking and the scratching brakes was bothering everybody but me. It didn't bother me. I was fine with it. It stops. Let it be. But so I had to change it out, and I was changing out not only the brake pads, but the brake calipers, so it became a little bit more intensive, if you would. And it was hot, and Sunny, without any thought of herself wanting to be inside, doing whatever she was doing on social media, comes out and holds an umbrella to shade me from the sun. She sees a need that I had, and let me tell you, I didn't ask for it, I didn't need it, I was fine. I would have finished the job just as well without it being in the heat of the sun, I can handle the pain and sweat, but I'm telling you, the shade was nice. And it helped a lot. The company was even nicer. She saw a need, such a simple need, and provided that for me. Guys, when you get married, when I'm talking about intimate vision, not only the intimate words, but the intimate vision and the intimate passion, I've said it before, your standard of beauty becomes your wife. Nothing else matters. That is your focus. Ladies, same thing. There's a, I wanted to talk to the ladies for a second because the world of pornography has not only destroyed the male psyche because it's primarily guys that struggle with it, that, although it's not always the case, it also has hindered the way ladies see themselves. Chaplain Bryant said something interesting last week. Did you notice when he talked about when, when ladies walk, when his girls, because he raises daughters, right? When his girls walk behind a mirror, they, they were beside, in front of a mirror, they do one of two things. They either shy away or they fix Either I'm not pretty enough, I don't want to see that, or it's not pretty enough, I need to fix it. The world that we live in has greatly diminished what beauty is. Your wife doesn't have to look like the billboard beauty or like the lady that was wearing not enough clothes on the beach the other day for me to make a Band-Aid out of her garments if I needed to. Uh, Johnny Diaz sings a song, and I'm going to share some lyrics with you because I think it's important and I think it fits. He says, there can never be a more beautiful you. Listen to me. Little girl 14 flipping through a magazine says she wants to look that way. But her hair isn't straight, her body isn't fake, and she's always felt overweight. Well, little girl 14, I wish that you could see the beauty that's within your heart. And you were made with such care. Your skin, your body, and your hair are perfect just the way they are. There can never be a more beautiful you. That's the way God sees you. The lyrics go on to say, little girl 21, things that you've already done, if you know what I mean, 
anything to get ahead. You say you want a man, but he's got another plan. Only wants what you'll do instead. If you know what I mean. Well, little girl, 21. The song goes on. I won't sing the whole thing. He tells her there can never be a more beautiful you. Ladies, you are beautiful the way you are. Guys, you need to write poetry, if you know what I mean, to tell her that she is beautiful. Tell her how your love for her is like the ocean. Right? There's a country song. You've heard those city singers sing about how they can love deeper than the ocean, higher than the stars above. And he goes to make fun of the way that they say it. Well, that wouldn't do justice because the ocean's salty and the stars, they sometimes fall. So I'm going to tell you. And he writes a most country love song the way that he could. And I understand it because I'm about country as they come. Backwoods, Alabama. He says, my love is deeper than the holler, stronger than the river, higher than the pine tree growing tall upon the hill. Purer than the snowflake that falls in late December and longer than the song of a whippoorwill. Some of y'all don't know what a whippoorwill is. I'm like, that any more than the Shulamite one? And they're like, that doesn't make any sense. But let me tell you, if you're from the South, you've heard them birds and they never shut up. And what he's saying is, my love for you will never shut up. I understand that beautifully. Tell your wife that she is beautiful in a way that the two of you understand it to your culture. She was enchanted. He was under a spell. And she was deliberately casting that spell for her. She had prepared herself. He was seeing the eyes behind the veil and not much more. Okay? She had beautified herself. She was ready for the date. She had put on the favorite dress that she knows that he likes. And she's prepared herself with nard and, and perfume, if you would. And he is better. That's better than wine. They are drunk on love. I also want you to know this intimate, intimacy is exclusiveness. In their relationship, it is exclusive. I am a lot garden. Everybody's standard of beauty is different, but once you're married, your standard of beauty is your spouse. Gentlemen, pornography greatly skews the standard by creating these unrealistic expectations with airbrushed beauty, if you would. Don't do that to yourself or your spouse. The greatest gift is the gift of exclusion. Mine, mine, mine. Sonny's mine. Ladies, she can go out to a coffee with you, and y'all can talk all day long. I'm cool with that, but she's coming home to me because she's mine. Hey, Dan, she can help you with the music and she can play the bass. I'm, I'm good with that, but she's mine. That's my bride, and I hope she feels the same way about me. Or I'm pretty sure she does. 18 years and counting, right? It's exclusive. Sonny and I mentioned, I mentioned we get those crazy looks because we talk about we've only ever been with each other. And they're like, Really? You've never been with anybody, anybody else at all? No. What's that like? Great. <laughs> Perfect. She's the best. Number one graduate, the valedictorian of your class when you're homeschooled. Duh. Right? It's wonderful. I had a friend that did that. He wrote valedictorian on his class. And he's like, I know it's great. He got accepted with a scholarship. Valedictorian, sucker. Never had anything to compare it with though, right? My relationship that I have with Sonny, by far the best. Because it's exclusive. Purity and pleasure go hand in hand in a biblical marriage. Intimacy is not only temporary though. True intimacy is infinite pleasure. If you know what I mean. 
All right? She who says, she says, don't stir up or awaken love. She endures the younger people. She, ladies, she's talking to you if you're unmarried. If you're one of these teenage girls in here who does know what I mean, but is like really uncomfortable because you don't want to know what I mean, let me tell you, she is telling you, don't stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. Now that the marriage ceremony is done, she's like, now's the appropriate time. Great. Great. But she is telling them, wait for your Solomon. Wait for your Boaz. Don't settle for the sorry ass, the lazy ass, the no good ass, but wait for your Boaz from the Ruth story. Have y'all ever heard that? Y'all are shaking your head, so I'm not the only one that's seen it or related to that, right? Wait for your, the, the right one. Wait for the one God has for you. It's more than a mechanical union. It's all the emotional parts have to lead to that incredible experience. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, it talks about abstinence for a little bit to a married couple. And it's talking about a little bit of what righteousness looks like. And it talks about, except for a set period of time, you should never hold this relationship back, the physical intimacy. Ladies, I've known it happen a thousand times. Guys, I've known people to do it. You know what? You ain't getting none of this because you ain't doing none of that. You wait till you finish the chore list. Then maybe we could talk. That's not what your physical intimacy should look like. It's never like that. That's not looking for Him in the crevices of the hills waiting for Him to turn to work or skipping down the driveway because my hubby's home. Does that make sense? It is not a tool to be used against Him. Notice that even during that abstinence though, the idea is to come closer together. When you read 1 Corinthians 7, their abstinence is to be done with prayer and fasting. It's to bring them closer together through a closer union with that of Jesus Christ. Finally, I want to close with this because it's always important to bring it back to my Savior. Do y'all do remember the first miracle Jesus did, right? Okay, okay, you alcoholics. I know what He did. He turned water into wine. But you know what He was celebrating, right? You remember where He was at. It was at a wedding. It was at a wedding. A truly intimate marriage that shows that showers each other with praises has a passionate vision. Jesus Christ chose His coming out, if you would, world, here I am, and here's, I'm the Son of God, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. His first miracle was done at a wedding union where He was celebrating that. It matters. He had a passionate vision for it. By He, I mean Jesus Christ. It's an exclusive and it's infinite. It draws each other closer to the Savior. I am unto my beloved. Ani Lodoti Lodoti Lee. I'm unto my beloved and my beloved is unto me. And we are one with each other. We make ourselves and our spouses better Christians. Like when Jesus attended the wedding at Canaan and He blessed it, He blesses your marriage too. He, God, I need you to understand finally, He lifts His voice and gives hearty approval to the entire night that Solomon and the Shulamite woman are spending together. He vigorously endorses, he being Jesus Christ in God the Father, endorses and affirms the love of this couple. He takes pleasure, he being Jesus Christ, takes pleasure in what is taken in their physical relationship. He is glad that they have drunk deeply of the fountain of love. Two of his own have experienced love in all the beauty and fervor and purity that he intended for them. And in fact, he urges them on in their relationship. Physical intimacy is not perverted by any means, but let's do like the Shulamite had advised the others and not awaken it till it's ready. 
Guys, I need us to understand intimacy is exclusion. It's only for my bride. I am for my bride and my bride is for me. Intimate is pleasure. It should be pleasurable for both. Sometimes people ask us, what, what does that look like? What should we do or shouldn't we do in a relationship? And the answer is you should talk about it. You should talk about your relationship. And whatever right looks like for y'all, that's probably right. Because it starts with like Chaplain Bryant talking out, praising your wife, which is communication, or praising your spouse, period. Sonny praises me too. I say praising your wife because that's mom, right? Intimate words. Intimate passion and vision. Getting married. Intimate passion. What does your future look like? They're talking about getting married and where they're going. Come with me. For us in the military, have you talked about retirement? What does that look like for you? What is your vision for the future when your children leave the house? For you children, what is your vision for a perfect husband or a perfect wife look like? You're not going to find one, but at least have a vision of what it looks like to know what you're shooting for. Moms and dads that had children, this is tough for me too because I've got a son that's 12 approaching 13. Do we talk with him about what a righteous relationship looks like because they need to know. 12-year-old boys were reading Song of Solomon with no need to say if you know what I mean. With no need of that's what she said kind of statements. With no need to clarify or to anything else. They knew what it meant. Guys, we need to teach our children because the world's teaching them already. Your relationship is the greatest example of what righteousness looks like. And finally, before I close out, in order to make all these things work, intimate words, intimate vision and passion, intimate exclusion just for each other, and intimate, intimate pleasure, you need other couples. Just like I needed to see Shiloh run out there and embrace her husband, and embrace, it, 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 it spoke to me. You see what I'm saying? Don't get me wrong. Sonny's very intimate with me too. She embraces me with long hugs and Shulamite sugar too, right? But I need Dan and his family. I need the Thompsons. I need the Ellises. We need each other to encourage each other, to hold each other accountable. So Chaplain Ellis can say, is your standard of beauty still Sonny, Kenneth? And so somebody can go to Sonny, are you praising? Are you still waiting for your husband to come home and looking for him to come home, not to berate him, but to embrace him? We need that kind of accountability. Let's find it within the church. Holy God, my Father, I thank you for who you are and all you've done. Father, I know I've talked a little bit more, maybe I, a lot of time about the intimacy, but I pray that we have done it well. And I pray that we will practice it well. Father, in the, in the bulletin was inserts of kind of a, an intimacy survey. Father, I pray our couples would go home and kind of take that and talk about it, what right looks like, what righteousness looks like. Father, I pray that as we have talked about the physical side of a marriage-embracing relationship, of a God-embracing relationship, that You will be honored and You will be praised. Father, I thank You that Your first miracle was to bless a marriage, to provide for the need of a young married couple who otherwise would have been embarrassed because the wine ran out. But Father, You provided a need in their marriage. Father, there are needs in this marriage and the marriages of the people that are under the sound of my voice today. Father, I pray that You'll help provide those needs. The power of praise. The power of intimacy. Pursuing each other passionately. Whatever those needs are, Father, let them reach out to help to a chaplain or somebody else or primarily to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Father, just through prayer. Father, may the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart be acceptable to You. Ask these things in Your name.